crazy, like, you don't realize the, the education piece. Like, I'm still learning so much, but even when people come in, we see, you know, you see CAB, like, what does CAB mean? Like, certified Angus beef. Like, just little education pieces like that. Like, it's, it's really cool to be able to talk to the customers about that. Because um, they're going into the grocery stores and maybe not able to, you know, speak directly to someone about what that means. You can't survive without it. It plays a part in almost everything we bring into our homes. It's agriculture. I'm Amy Flugsopt. In my 15-year career as a broadcast journalist, I've traveled the country, won awards, and have told the stories of everyone from presidential candidates to the neighbor next door. Now, I'm getting back to my farm girl roots to connect you back to where your food, fuel, fabric, and all of those items in between originated, the farm. Inside the Bullseye is a one-of-a-kind conversation that's designed especially for you, the consumer. Broadcasting from my home studio in Madison, Wisconsin, I'm Amy Flucksopt. Trust me, this isn't your grandfather's way of farming. Welcome to this edition of Inside the Bullseye. More than ever, you, the consumer, want to know where your food comes from, how it was raised, the process in which it was harvested. You you just want to know all the things. This curiosity is stronger than ever, especially when it comes to meat. Today, we're taking a look at a new butcher and specialty market that recently opened in Windsor, Wisconsin, a small town which is just outside of Madison in July of 2021. So yes, they opened in the middle of a pandemic. Their goal is to give local farmers and other small businesses a place to sell. Joining the conversation now is Judson and Monique Branch, the co-owners of Branch and Daughter. And before we get into this conversation, I do want to be fully transparent here and tell you that Branch and Daughter is a neighbor to ABS Global, which is where Inside the Bullseye is based out of. We're actually less than two miles from each other. So I just want to say welcome to the community. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you, Amy. We're happy to be here. Thank you. So let's just dive in with uh, what is Branch and Daughter? Kind of take me on this virtual tour, if you will. Am I up? <laughs> yeah. Um, we are a yeah, specialty market in Windsor and we have a grocer, we have a pizzeria, um, we do wedgie sandwiches, um, we have worked with a lot of our local vendors, a lot of local farms just here close in the area, just bringing another location for our farmers and small batch producers to have a place to sell their items and really bring something to the community. We found ourselves here in Windsor when we moved to Wisconsin. Love the community, love the people here, but we also found a void that, that there needed to be a place to go to buy some you know, local items instead of having to drive to Madison or you know, Middleton. Um, and you know, we found that there was some great places here, but that there was you know, definitely a need for something like this. And so that's kind of where it all started. Um, Judson's been a chef for almost 21 years now um, and in the industry. And so he always had his eye on this location as we lived here. And we always kind of said if that, that place ever went up for sale, it would be a great location to, to bring this, this concept to the area. So, Justin, I want to I talk to you a little bit about 
what you do there as uh, as a butcher. So we, we want we want to clarify to our listeners how that process is done on your end. Yeah, absolutely. So as I started this process, I started making relationships with farmers within the area, um, figuring out distribution. So essentially, they're they're raising the animals, they're they're harvesting the animals, and then I'm receiving the animals and then I end up basically processing on my end for the cases um, if that makes sense so I know the animals not actually being harvested at your facility that's being done at another location but then you're getting those primal cuts delivered to you and for for our listeners a, a primal cut is a piece of meat that's initially separated from the carcass of the animal during the butchering process and then from there you continue to cut that meat down further you're getting you know quarter of a of a steer or you know quarter of a hog or whatever that may look like whatever cut that is so you're not getting a whole carcass right correct i'm, I'm getting the primals and subprimals, and then i'm breaking it down from there for our cases so you know, I'm really curious to know why why you felt like you wanted to get into this because, you know, it's a time where, you know, that profession itself is really, you know, it's dying in the U.S. They're, they're fewer and far between. Um, some numbers I found in, that CBS News reported just a couple years ago that in 1990 there were 1,200 federally inspected livestock slaughterhouses in the U.S. and by 2010 that number had dropped to 800 and I'm sure recent numbers, more recent numbers would show it's it's dropping even farther. So why kind of get into this game? You know, what was your reasoning? Well, for me, it's it's all related to food, you know, and as that's been my passion. And obviously, I've cooked around the country for the last 20, 21 years. Um, for me, a restaurant just wasn't going to be fun enough for me. You know, and when I first looked at it, I wanted to have something that was unique um, and not just to this area, but unique in concept overall. You know, as I continue to look at it now, I think the trend's gonna start to go the other way where people wanna know where their food is coming from. You know, and that, that was one of our, our, our biggest factors in deciding that we were gonna work with as many local farms as we could um, so that you had that traceability piece where you could look and say, oh wow, this is Fisher Family Farms. It's 23 miles to Partyville, I could drive up there you know, this afternoon and actually see the animals and how they're being raised. So, you know, that was the big push. And I, I do think the trend will start to see it moving more towards people wanting to know where that that produce, where, where their livestock is coming from um, here in the future, for sure. So in the intro, I kind of talked about, you know, you launched all of this in the middle of a pandemic. Let's talk about that and, and what that has meant for your business. I know at the beginning of the pandemic, when there were the fears and concerns of the meat shortages out there, people were mass buying. I mean, what has this done for your business? Have you seen a, a boost of more people wanting to buy local from you? Yeah, I would say so for sure. I mean, the majority of customers and and local community members that, that frequent the shop, you know, they're excited to have um, products that they can they can say one are coming from the area that they're supporting the area um that, that that again it goes back to traceability that they know where this was raised and how it was raised and, and i think it gives people a sense of comfort to know that they're eating something that is good for their body 
and is not loaded with you know any kind of other possible contaminant that that you find um, in certain other products I think I would say the, the other thing too is that during the pandemic we saw so many people you know home learning to cook and and really you know spending more time on being with family and being home and not being able to go to dinner um, and you know having other people cook for them so we saw you know as we were researching this this product and theme of you know what what our business was going to be that the numbers of people buying in the grocery stores obviously went up and people wanting to be more creative and learn how to cook a beef shank or you know things that they're not normally used to cooking with so that's the other fun part about being here is being able to talk to the customers when they come in and say, I want to make this, I don't know how. And, you know, Judson says to me all the time, right, he's not a butcher by trade, but he's a chef. And that was the biggest thing is really just teaching people how to make food the right way and with really good quality products. So I think that that part actually was, you know, helped our business. Um, and going into this and can and it will continue. I don't think it's going to stop. So So you, you kind of touched on a little bit about backgrounds that you guys have I, I know it's very strongly rooted in the hospitality uh, Industry there, but I'm curious. Do you have any farm background? Yeah, no, you know yeah. as far as farming goes um, My mother, you know grew up on a pretty large cattle farm in central Pennsylvania um, you know, she's in her 80s, so that was to the 40s, 50s. Um, you know, my father was a very avid outdoorsman, so I, I was hunting and fishing from a very young age, and then my mother always kept a large garden. So every summer between my mother and over at my grandmother's, it was everything from picking wax beans to picking different um, stone fruits to you name it, canning in the fall, uh, summer and fall, canning tomatoes, canning pears, apples. So I was always heavily involved in that growing up. Um, so for me, I've always had a passion for food. I just don't think I realized it until I, I, I became you know, old enough to, to figure out that's what I wanted to do. But um, I definitely was groomed a little bit for it, I think. What about you, Monique? Do, do you have any, any farm background? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, no, I was born and raised in Arizona. Not that there's not farms there, but um, I grew up in Phoenix in, you know, downtown metropolitan area. Um, so, no, I, I sure my mom, we had tomatoes. We had some, um, you know, trees like, you know, oranges and lemons and stuff, but absolutely not. I did not learn until I started in catering and events. That was kind of a passion just to learn how to, you know, do large scale events. And that's when I learned a lot about what people want, but on the larger scale. And of course, meeting Judson, that's where I've, I've become his biggest critic, I think. I don't know how to make anything, but I know how to, I'm starting to learn how to taste things. So um, yeah, I've definitely learned just being part of the, the industry. So I think a, a real fun part of your backstory is, is the name uh, the, the meaning behind the name of your shop and uh, full disclosure here <laughs> you and I we can bond over this we both brought a daughter into the world in February of 2020 which you know is right before the pandemic went into full swing so so tell us about the name sure so I mean gosh we had a list right two pages full of names just trying to figure out what really made sense for us and and what told our story and Judson growing up with many, you know, strong, will willed women um, in his family along with mine. 
Um, when we've you know talked about how every woman is a daughter at one point. Um, and of course, yes, we do have a daughter, um, but there's a lot more that goes into that story. It's really just kind of paying homage to all the women in our lives that came before us um, that, you know, back in the day when it was simpler times, it was, you know, on the farms and making everything from scratch and the recipes that, you know, Judson grew up eating and same with me all did mostly came from the women in our lives. So um, it just made sense to pay homage to the women in our lives by saying daughter. So and then just adding the last name um, of Judson's, you know, family was Branch. So that's where we came up with the Branch and Daughter plus a lot of times you hear like Jacobson and Sons and there's always the Sons. And so we really thought it was important to make sure that we, you know, honored the women in the lives by saying daughter. Yeah, and, Mo- and, and Monique's last name is Branch too now. <laughs> yes. So we're aware. It's not, it's not just, just Judson's last name. It's, it's Monique's. I think she forgets sometimes, but yeah. Yes, I'm definitely a Branch now. <laughs> It's all in the family. It's all in the family. <laughs> so, so I have to ask you, was it harder to name, to come up with a name for your daughter or harder to come up with the name for the shop? Because like I said, you and I, we were right there at the same time having babies. So uh, I, know, I know how hard it is to pick a name. <laughs> I think that was hard too. Oh, it was probably harder, <laughs> harder, harder to find the name for our daughter, I think. <laughs> yeah, it sticks forever, right? I mean, I guess our business, we fingers crossed will stick forever too. Um, but yeah, um, it's definitely hard, but it's, it's so exciting to hear when we're out in the community and we hear people say like, have you been to branch and daughter or have you, you know, we're now we have our shirts that have it on the back and it's just, it's exciting to share with the community that we've brought something here local and it's close for people that live here. Well, that and what we represent, right? Because every, everything you, you see in here is a reflection of Monique and myself. Um, and, and I like to think of it as an honest interpretation of who we are from the food that is from the farmers to the food that I craft that hits the cases to a lot of the local ingredients that Monique has sourced. And, and the reason being is because I always believe in honesty, integrity in my life and in my career. Um, and I just believe in simpler times in a sense where you come in and what you see is what you get. You want a question, I'm gonna answer it. You know, there's nothing that that to me um, should ever be something somebody should be afraid to approach or ask. And, and, and mistakes are something that I tell all the young people I've always worked with. You, you're gonna fail, you're gonna continue to fail, but it's how you come back from that failure, what you learn from that failure. And it's the same with customers coming in who've never cooked a beef shank, as Monique brought up earlier. You know, you start out and it may not go out, go off great the first time, um, but you learn from that mistake and you go back and you try it again and hopefully next time it tastes a lot better. So, you know, our goal is to, to educate, but also bring that simple, honest goodness back to a community where, you know, you may not always know what you're going to get in the grocery store or exactly where it's from. And here it's very transparent and I'm going to tell you exactly where it's from and, and what it is. and we wouldn't be showcasing it if we didn't know, so. And it's crazy, like, you don't realize the the education piece. Like, I'm still learning so much, but even when people come in and we see, you know, you see CAB, like, what does CAB mean? Like, certified Angus beef. Like, just little education pieces like that. Like, it's, it's really cool to be able to talk to the customers about that. Because um, they're going into the grocery stores and maybe not able to, you know, speak directly to someone about what that means. 
Okay, so you brought up mistakes consumers make. <laughs> Help us work through some of these. What's the most common mistake consumers are making when it comes to, to meat in whether it be prepping it, cooking it, you know, saving it, freezing it? Yeah, I don't know if it's a mistake. I mean, it, there's multiple things we could probably touch on for that. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's, I think some examples I would give in the shop that I've come across so far in the short time we've been open um, you know, I've had customers come in and say, you know, I saw this thing and I want to, I want to cook a brisket and I've never cooked a brisket, but I'm going to, I, I want to cook a brisket and I want to do it in my crock pot or I only want a pound of this brisket. And, and when you look at, um, a brisket or a whole muscle, like a beef brisket, there are different parts of that muscle that all cook differently per se. Um, so you have a fattier end and you have a much leaner end as it gets thinner, right? Um, and I, I think people see this and they just assume that it's gonna come out the exact same if they get just a smaller piece of it, for example, if that makes sense. Um, my goal is that is as I did the day that this customer came in for that, I, I spoke to them about possibly trying a less expensive cut of meat and a smaller cut of meat to start with to kind of, I, I don't want to say practice, but but try it out first before you kind of graduate to that other other cut of meat that, you know, from a financial standpoint, it's it's a lot more costly to, to just go all in on something you're not sure about right away. So I'd rather see that and someone kind of build themselves up to it than just go all in and possibly um, not have the outcome that they are looking for on that, that, you know, it's not as big as a loss as if you, you try something smaller first, for example. So what, what are some great economical cuts, you know, if people are really just trying to get into, you know, cooking for themselves and their families, what are some great economical cuts to really start with? Yeah, as I tell people all the time, you know, I, I've been getting some phenomenal chuck roasting. Um, and, and I think, a lot of people, you know, they're used to roast, but there's all kinds of different muscles that are used for roast. Um, the, the chuck for me is one of the most flavorful, uh, has, has a great amount of fat, um, intramuscular, you know, fat in, in it that I, I personally love it. Um, you know, beef shanks, as Monique brought up, I love braising. This time of the year is perfect for shanks. Um, you know, for me, when people look at pork, believe it or not, I know that people kind of stray away from, from pig's feet, but they can be prepared so many different ways. Um, even from a slow cook in your crock pot to then transferring to a grill to finish off on your barbecue grill um, to really, really get some more flavors in there. So there, there's a ton of different ones that, you know, some of the muscles that I look at that I see, you know, it, it's hard anymore in the United States, I think. Um, you know, when I think about my growing up, with my parents who were older at the time, they came from a generation where a lot of those, we'll call it off cuts or unpopular cuts, um, that was dinner every day, you know, of the week for the most part. That's what you ate, you know. It wasn't just, I'm having a filet, you know, you're not getting the prime cuts that everybody goes after or the most popular, you know, you ate everything off of the animal. Mm -hmm. And as much as I'd love to see that come back, um, from the chef side of me. I think most chefs are very romantic about that. And, and we want to utilize no to nose to tail. It's just, we've got to be more creative in ways that I would say we 
incorporate it into dishes that we make. Um, you know, and there's some things I do right now that, you know, I give examples to Monique, you know, on our menu for our, our pepperoni pizza. It's a trio of pepperoni that I use per se, but I, I say pepperoni spread on the menu because if I say what it is, I think people would just be kind of, um, they, because they wouldn't know what maybe the word is because it's not a popular type of sausage spread, mm-hmm. they possibly automatically would say leave it off and never experience it. And I've had so many people compliment on how delicious this is. They love the pepperoni spread, but I think if I called it Nduya, what it is, um, I, I think a lot of people, because they don't know that, they're just automatically going to say, I don't want that, leave that off, I just want pepperoni, right? So mm-hmm. I think there's creative ways with still being honest about what we're feeding people, um, but creative ways to incorporate a lot of these items into dishes that people will try and then understand that, oh, I do like pigtail, for example, right? When we were writing the menu for the pizza and Judson said we're putting anchovies on the pizza, I, I, I was like, are you sure about that? <laughs> and but, it, but people are coming in it's and they're 50, trying 50. it. And, and trying you know, it. some people Absolutely. don't want it, but they're, people are asking and, go, and there are clams on, we have clams on one of our pizzas and people are actually trying it, which is awesome. <laughs> and, and I'm really enjoying yeah. it. Yeah, a couple of things that like came to mind when you were talking about that, like pig's feet, cow's tongue, you know, oxtail, like all these different pieces that aren't common, not something a lot of people are going to walk up to the meat counter and be like, hey, I want a cut of that, you know, what a great creative way to expand our minds and our taste buds. Absolutely. And, and, and like I said, with still being honest and with what we're preparing, I, I believe that once people actually tasted it, you know, it's just, it, it, it's the way that we've gone, as you said, as butcher shops started to disappear in the 90s, um, it, it's cuts that you wouldn't see in your, your large grocery store chains. Um, they, you know, it, it, there was no cow tongue, you know, there wasn't a lot of pig's feet in a lot of areas in the country. So all of that went away and people weren't preparing it for their kids. So now those kids are older, right? So they're not preparing it or eating it. So it is a little off-putting in in the U.S. for a lot of different regions. Um, And there's still a lot of regions that that they commonly eat those foods. Um, But as far as mainstream in the grocery stores, you know, in most most of these, I would say not just rural, but metropolitan areas, you're not going to see those cuts because they have become unpopular. Um, You know, but one thing you see, and I, I see a lot of now, is when you look at a lot of different authentic, um, let's call it taco, taquerias, taco restaurants, you'll see the lingua, which is the cow tongue, right? And you'll see people experiencing it, trying that through a taco. Um, but if I make a terrine with cow tongue right now, it's not going to go over the same, right? So we, we <laughs> as chefs and, 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 and I guess as people attempting to push these trends, we've got to, I think, slowly inject these, these pieces and different uncommon, unpopular cuts. Um, and, and a taco, I think, is a great gateway to do that, obviously, right? Because everybody loves tacos. So I've never met a bad taco in my life. <laughs> no, so. that's, that's my point. So <laughs> what a great way. <laughs> I've, I'm, I'm constantly looking for more tacos, let's call it, 
that I can get into the shop for people to experience some of these other, you know, cuts that, that maybe they wouldn't have eaten any in another way prepared. So, yeah, you can dress it up with just about anything in a taco, right? And just kind of camouflage, maybe, <laughs> you know, just, you know, just get it in taste it. You'll like it. You know, well, it's like what we tell our kids, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, a big thing is Monique's a great example for it, that if she, if she did not see the cow tongue, <laughs> and she just saw the meat, let, let's say, shredded, diced, and ate it, and, and just was told it was beef, I, she'd be perfectly fine mm-hmm. with it. But if she actually <laughs> saw the tongue while preparing it, it yeah. she would not want to eat it. And I, I, I think that's true for a lot of Americans um, that have grown up without being exposed to those cuts. You know, it, it's, it's, it's hard for them to kind of get in their head that, oh, this is something I would like to eat. So I think that's a big piece of it, and it'll take time for sure. It's also like right on trend, you know, with sustainability. You know, this is a a big topic with consumers and wanting to make sure, you know, food sources are coming from sustainable places and we're using everything. And I love that analogy that you used earlier from, from nose to tail. I mean, what better way to make sure we're using every part of the animal we can in a great way to nourish people and, and feed the world? Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's that, that, that is more important than anything else. Um, however, on our end, and I look at it always from a chef perspective that we've got to make sure we're doing it justice on our end. Right. So you're, if I'm not preparing it correctly, and it's the first time you're trying it, you'll probably never try it again. Right. So again, it goes back to a lot of times as chefs, we have this romantic idea in our head of what something should be and how the consumer should eat it. But sometimes we need to tone it down and go back to simplicity and, and just go back to being simple, you know? And, and I say it all the time, you know, we launched our, our wedgie sandwiches this week and as simple as they are, they're delicious. And that's, that's the idea that sometimes as chefs, we get too caught up in the moment of doing 50 million things to one item and you know we end up kind of ruining it or what it was so for me the goal here is to keep it very simple allow people to to taste what we're creating without completely masking it so let's talk about what's trending in in the meat industry right now and and what we as consumers can be expecting to be enjoying or trying to enjoy this fall and winter yeah for me i i mean right now our 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 biggest push or biggest requests have been for our dry aged beef. Um, it is it is really, really taken off. We've had some really great experiences with our customers hanging out in our parking lot before we open, tailgating. I mean, it's been really, really cool. And to see the amount of people that have lined up to get in here to, to try either the first time dry, uh, dry aged beef they've never had or try a different cut that we were releasing that day. I mean, that's been really cool. So or to prepare it to themselves. I think you can go to like rare on the square has, you know, has it, but that's buying dinner for $90 or whatever it might be for your actual dinner, but actually be getting to buy it and prepare it. Um, or even we have people giving it as gifts to people as anniversary gifts. Cause it's dry aged and you know, or people turning 40, it's an eight, right. It's just one more cool memory or experience that is different. So yeah, sorry to cut. No, you. absolutely. No, that's, <laughs> perfect and and that that for me you know our goal eventually is to be um doing the majority of our beef 
and and possibly once we feel comfortable with that there may be some pork that's being aged there may be some seafood being aged um again it's just not something i think that it's got to happen in steps right so for us the dry aged beef is taken off great i i truly think a lot of people um are going to continue to want to come and and see what we're doing with that for sure so for our, our consumers listening that may not be familiar with us, what is dry-aged beef? How do you do it? What does it taste like? And why is it on trend right now? Yeah, so essentially we're controlling the temperature and humidity inside a cabinet. So I'm taking the, the primal whole muscles, and then I'm basically hanging it in this cabinet that's a controlled environment. We're limiting the bacteria. Um, the cabinets that I have actually have UV lighting so that it continues to kill any bacteria that would come inside that environment. Um, I'm aging right now, you know, I think the, the furthest I've gone is 55 days. I'm looking to go a 21 to 30 day. And what's happening is as that muscle is kind of, let's just call it drying out and losing moisture, it's condensing and it's condensing all of the flavor. So essentially it would be like if, if I took a beef stock or, a, or a, a, a water, if you would take salted water and you'd boil it and continue to boil it, it's gonna dissipate and keep reducing and then that salted water is gonna become more and more intense. So it's the same kind of idea with the beef. As it's losing moisture, it's condensing, all of that flavor is condensing um, and, and the muscle does shrink so you're getting a smaller yield um, but the flavor is getting much more, um, what's the word I'm looking intensified. for? Intensified. Yeah. Yeah, intensified. The flavor. It's yeah, It's tenderizing. And it's tenderizing while it's doing it. Correct. So to, to maybe a, a uneducated consumer on meat, their first thought may be, well, I want a juicy cut of meat, right? You don't want it dried out and gross because we've all been there where we've cooked something and it's turned out dry and just not not flavorful so how does this concept work in a sense to where it still has that intense flavor and 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 good texture but is it just different is it an acquired taste like help me work through this no no it's actually i had somebody the other day said when we released one um actually laughed and said i was able to cut that ribeye with a with a plastic spoon so wow it becomes so tender with all the marbling and the fat condenses as well so you I basically remove the outside part and that's the part that becomes I would say um, more more like a beef jerky let's call it just the outer casing and then once you remove it and cut it you would actually look at it and be you, you probably wouldn't know other than the size of the muscle has gotten smaller um, because the inside is actually the color is just amazing um, amazing color the, the fat has condensed. You can really see so much more marbling. Um, it's just a really great process to age beef. But cooking it is a little different, right? So it's, explain that a no, little. No, so I mean, for, for, for me, I, I, I tell people that, you know, as far as cooking these muscles, if they're center of the plate, like a ribeye or any of that I'm offering, it, you're gonna cook it the same way. Um, you're not gonna prepare it any differently. Um, I, you know, for me, cast iron searing is the best. Um, seasoning, seasoning, cast iron, searing, 
finishing with a little butter, garlic, herbs. Um, it's the best best way for, for me to eat a steak personally. All right, I'm starving now. We're, we're approaching lunch <laughs> hour as, as we're having this conversation. Uh, so I'll be over for lunch, okay? Perfect. <laughs> so let, let's talk about, I know we're, we're starting to run short on time here, but I grew up on a beef farm. I always had beef in a freezer. We, we very rarely had to buy from a grocer or from a meat market or anything. We had all locally raised beef. I loved it. I, I feel like I, I was spoiled on it. And, and for people who haven't had a chance to experience it, um, you know, I, I hope they, they learn to buy local because it's just absolutely amazing. So when people want to fill their freezer, what, what tips, what advice, what cuts should they have? You know, what's the best way to, to keep it so it stays fresh? What, what, can you, what can you tell us as consumers? Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the hardest things for me, to be honest with you, I'm a little different because I'm, I'm so used to any time I try with Monique to, to have stuff in the freezer, it's almost like we never get to it or never eat it. Um, you know, so it's hard for me to touch on the piece of what they should store. You know, uh, uh, typically ground beef, it's something you're always gonna use. So I, w- I think that's a staple in most people's freezer, I feel like, um, mm-hmm. so, so that's always safe. As far as storing, it depends on the method. You know, I, I have a food saver at home that I cryovac um, most of my proteins, and then I label and date that and put it in there so I know which when isn't I put very it in expensive there. to normal, no, right? I mean, sixty to eighty dollars, yeah. you can get a, a a decent food saver that you can just cryovac your your proteins, and that saves it. You know, I'm still a big believer in like my parents when I was growing up, wrapping things in foil after plastic. So it's funny. I was reading uh, a guy I followed the other day, a butcher, and he he was saying that he. He just started for his grinding using the fold-over sandwich bags for all of his ground beef, and then he's wrapping in foil. And I found it pretty funny because I think as chefs and butchers, we probably went into this huge cryovac, um, I don't know, moment movement where everything was cryovac. And now some people are looking back and saying, you know what, the way my parents did it with just the little sandwich fold-over <laughs> bag and then wrapping in Reynolds wrap foil um, it seems to come out just as good, if not preserves it better. So I, I do believe in putting foil over any plastic covering that you're putting in your freezer because I think it does guard against any kind of uh, mm-hmm. freezer burn or, or frostbite you would get on your, on your food. Well, I have just enjoyed this conversation so much. Are there any, are there any last thoughts to leave with consumers as as they they kind of process all of this that we talked through. I mean, we we went through a lot today. <laughs> yeah, no. The biggest thing that I say, and I, I look at, you know, as I talk to people, and I tell them, you know, my dad's side of the family, my grandmother, uh, you know, she was 108. My my aunt, my dad's sister, just turned 104 on the 21st oh. of September. Um, and when people ask about it, you know, I think and my father's 88. Um, and, and most people in his family live very, very long lives and pretty healthy lives. And when I look back to what they were raised on, it was they grew all of their own food. They raised all of their own lives, livestock. Um, and, and, and what it came down to was less ingredients in the food they were eating. Um, so less processed. And I feel like the less processed you can eat, the better. 
Um, and, you know, I, I don't always eat the greatest since we opened. I think I've had pizza every single day. Um, that's been my, my one late night snack real quick to eat something for the day. But, you know, the less processed, I feel like it's always going to be better for your body. Yeah. I, I mean, I would just say it's it, the fun part about being here is seeing all the families coming in with their kids, too. And, you know, we've got Penny Candy, which kind of brings you back in the day to when you were younger and you'd go to the local butcher or, you know, I don't know what else. Like you would just go to the deli and with your, your family and get local food and then just get a piece of candy like you remember that forever and we want that we want kids to come and experience it with their families and pick out local items that they know came from the farm down the road um and so that kind of again creating that experience and not just going to the grocery store and running your errands it's it's more than that so yeah Okay, so I've revealed in a previous episode that my favorite cut of meat is a ribeye. Like, there is nothing better than a ribeye from the Indiana Cattlemen's Association back where I grew up. Every summer, I have to have one of those when I go home. So, if there's one cut of meat out there, what is it for you guys? What, 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 and what makes it so special? For me, for sure, I, I would almost have to agree with you, a ribeye. Um, you know, and, I, and, and it's probably one of our most popular cuts here. There's just something about it, you know, the, the outer muscle covering, the spinalis or decal as they call it, and then you have that inside muscle, the marbling. Um, I think everyone enjoys that cut because it is one of the most flavorful, um, for sure. Me personally, I recommend always cooking it to medium. I don't, you know, for, for some of that sinew or, uh, uh, you know, tissue attachment that you have in there, I call it sinew. For me, it needs to cook a little more to get that a lot, to get it more tender. Um, but to each their own. Everyone can eat it how they want to eat it, so for sure. Oh, do I have to answer this too? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, since I normally eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, um, <laughs> unless Justin's <laughs> home cooking, um, I would say, I, I know it sounds silly, but it's a filet, right? <laughs> so, but I like it. We have a smoked blue cheese that we do here in our smoker, and so definitely with that on top of it. So I'm that one that comes in and says I need a filet. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. That's a tasty cut, too. Well, guys, I really appreciate your time. We've been talking with Judson and Monique Branch, co-owners of Branch and Daughter, a new butcher and specialty market in Windsor, Wisconsin. You know, thanks so much for taking some time to, to share your story with us. But more importantly, thank you for what you're doing for local farmers. Thank you so much. Thank it was you. great chatting with you, Amy. Well, if you want to learn more about Branch and Daughter, take a closer look at their offerings and menu, or even learn more about the local producers contributing products to their storefront, you can visit their website, branchanddaughter.com. They are also on social media. Just search Branch and Daughter. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope after listening, you feel just a little more connected to the people and places that have made it possible for you to bring all of your favorite products into your home every day. Inside the Bullseye is available for download right now. Just click subscribe wherever you consume your favorite podcasts and catch a new episode featuring a new guest every Thursday. Don't forget, be sure to join the conversation as well. We'd love to hear from you. Follow along on Facebook and Instagram at Inside the Bullseye. You have questions, 
ask me. I'll get you the answer in a future episode. This episode of Inside the Bullseye wouldn't be possible without ABS Global. ABS is a bovine genetic company that's proud to partner with farmers in 70 countries all around the globe to produce nutritional animal proteins to feed the world. Thanks so much for joining us. In the meantime, be sure to thank a farmer.